It appears to me throughout your career as a game runner, you're extremely diligent about vetting players. I was. But you let four guys play in the game without knowing they were connected? Yeah, plus an FBI informant, it's embarrassing. In my limited experience with the Russian mob, they don't immediately present themselves as mobsters. My experience with the Italian mob, help on the us. other hand. I don't know anything that can help you. Yes. And if I did, yes, I... Yes, you do. You can provide color, you can paint a picture, you can tell us Straczynski wore a $100,000 paytech Philippe and drove a phantom. You can tell us Ilya Gershon showed up with a quarter million dollars cash in a backpack, and you can tell us how much action Shelley was taken on a sports bet. No one was allowed to play sports bets inside the room. They would have to go outside. So I had no idea how much anyone was taking or... No, you're saying you knew they were making and taking sports bets? No, that's the point of them going outside. They could have been calling their mother for all I knew. Molly? Yes, sir. I don't believe you. I know you've been putting this bus together for three years and there's no one who doesn't want to see mobsters go to jail, including and especially the one person in the room who's had one of them put a gun in her mouth. Probation, community service, or better yet, just consider that all she did is run a poker game exactly the same way every casino in America does and drop the damn charges. Let's go. Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Hey, open up with that slightly altered scene from uh, the movie Molly's Game. If you haven't seen this movie, it's on pay-per-view right now. This is one of the best movies from 2017. It's a a thinker's movie, so if you're looking for action and superheroes and that kind of stuff, uh, the superheroes look like people, and uh, the action is uh, is a brain stimulation and poker uh, poker hands. But uh, it, this is a this is a fantastic movie for people that think. And if you listen to the main event, you must be thinking. And I thought you know that scene I had to shorten it quite a bit, but I thought uh, I thought it kind of represented uh, you know Molly uh, Molly's kind of being Trump and. The uh, the FBI guy is probably being Mueller, and uh, and Giuliani was the lawyer at the end. It says, "Hey, you know what? Drop the charges. You don't got nothing here. I know you've been doing this thing. Hey, Mueller, you've been doing this thing for a year. We're gonna talk about this in more detail as soon as I do my uh, my intro. But you know what? I just thought this was probably pertinent for what we're talking today. So we're gonna talk about all that stuff today. And I'm actually gonna have my buddy Joey Jones." On the second half, we're going to talk to him about some of the international things and actually some of the Texas things going on in this country. Uh, But before we go into all that stuff, let me introduce myself. My name's Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. Located here in Southern California, offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are fantastic opportunities in real estate, some of them are in your own house. If you're interested and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're uh, stealing time from your boss and you don't want anybody to know about it, go to WCCLoans.com www.wcclons.com. 
Uh, you'll see all kinds of mortgage information there. You can click on the Loan Center, click on Apply Now, put in as much information as you want me to have, and uh, tell us how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my uh, talented uh, teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, Aaron, Aaron Fredericks, and we will uh, help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Whether you're looking to refinance or you're looking to uh, buy a new house or a vacation home or your retirement home, or you're looking to uh, maybe check into one of them reverse mortgage things, well, you know, I don't know much about them reverse mortgages, but they just don't sound right. It's probably too good to be true. Yeah, it is, but it is true. Uh, They are too good, but but it is true, and it's very, very popular right now. Um, and you want some some uh, guidance on that, call me, 855-640-2020 or WCCLoans.com, and uh, you'll hear back from us. Uh, if there's any part of the show that you want repeated or you want to hear it again or you uh, just missed part of it, you want to hear the whole thing, uh, go to edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Click on the podcast page, and uh, you can uh, get this show as well as several past shows and a couple of special shows um, download and uh, hear them anytime you want. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes where you can subscribe for free, have it downloaded to your phone or your uh, iPad, your iWatch, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your computer, anything you want that uh, you can listen to podcasts on and uh, listen to it on demand anytime you want whenever it's convenient. I like listening to this kind of stuff in the car when I'm alone uh, because then I can listen and nobody's uh, there's no distractions. So uh, I don't know how you guys are when you're driving in the car, but when I'm driving in the car with somebody else in there, we're usually talking. So uh, Or sometimes we listen to a book or sometimes we uh, dance around while we're driving and we listen to music and we dance and uh, maybe not. Maybe not so much. Uh, Follow me on Twitter, at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long, some weeks more than others. And uh, the the show Facebook page is facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. Uh, Let's see. uh, One last thing. If you have comments on anything that's said on this show, feel free to call the listener hotline 855-640-2092. 855-640-2092. That's where you get, you're not going to get anybody answer the phone. You're going to get a thing that you can record your message and say, Ed, what you thinking, huh? You're totally off base on this show. Or you can say, uh, hey, good job. Whatever you want to say. And uh, I might just play them. I don't have a clip for this week. Uh, we have a, a a whole bunch that we haven't haven't played. Uh, maybe we'll remember next week. Anyway, uh, uh, happy first birthday to the Robert Mueller uh, special counsel investigation. As you know, it has looked less like an investigation into Russian meddling uh, in our election lately, and a lot more like an investigation of President Trump's uh, personal associates. For example. This week's revelations from the investigation include news on Michael Cohen, President Trump's personal attorney. Apparently, uh, they're uh, alleging he was soliciting a million-dollar payment from the government of Qatar in late uh, 2016 uh, in exchange for access to the incoming Trump administration, something President Trump likely had no knowledge of. Makes me think about, uh, hey, my friend's going to be president of the United States. You know, can I make some money? Reminds me of this little this little snippet from a scene Rocky Balboa. So you're going through with this? Yeah, I start training tomorrow. They're out. I made some connections. I could make some money on this endorsements. Absolutely, do that. Thank you, Rob. Sure. Okay. Okay, you know what? Hey, absolutely do that. Sure, go ahead and make some money. What the heck? You know what? I don't think uh, Trump really cares too much. Hey, you know what? I, I, hey, if you do, you give me half the money. 
I don't think so. I don't think he's uh, too concerned about that. I think he's donating his whole entire paycheck to uh, the military or the or a military uh, uh, charity, and uh, he had to sign over all his assets to uh, to his family uh, away from him uh, before he took. Well, he didn't have to. I think he voluntarily did that because to just keep people from talking. So uh, I think uh, I don't think Trump probably had any knowledge of that. There's almost 2,000 pages of transcripts from interviews on June 2016 Trump Tower meeting, which reportedly do not contain any information that would change the course of the investigation. The only, re- but this was news. Hey, we got 2,000 pages on the about regarding the Trump Tower meeting with uh, with uh, Donald Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort. They were expecting the Russian, you know, we knew that they were expecting lawyer, the Russian lawyer to deliver them a bombshell on Hillary Clinton, but instead she talked mostly about Russian adoption. I don't really know how this made news because when it, when it came out, Donald Jr. released the whole chain of emails. Hey, here's the whole chain of emails between this lady or it was some random thing. Say, hey, you know, we got some information. Sure. Come on. Come on. Let's talk. Let's see what you got. And they come in. They all want to talk about is the law that... Uh, something having to do with the law with uh, whether Americans could adopt Russian babies or something. Uh, I don't remember what the what the details on why why they were stopping the practice of American families adopting Russian babies. Hey, if you're having more babies that you guys don't want to take care of, I'm sure there's a lot of parents that are having problems having babies that would like to adopt one. And uh, so anyway, apparently that was the whole subject, and they tricked. Uh, Donald Jr. into getting a meeting in there. And the real news this week is Mueller's investigators told Trump's lawyers that Mueller will not indict the president, even if he finds wrongdoing, which he hasn't. On Wednesday, the Mueller team said they would adhere to the Justice Department's view that the Constitution bars prosecuting sitting presidents. So uh, here's Rudy Giuliani on what Mueller team told him and the rest of the president's legal team. One of his assistants said they acknowledged they had to be bound by Justice Department policies. And then the next day or the day after, they clarified it for Jay Sekulow, who was with me at the meeting, that they didn't have the power to indict. In the circumstances of this case, they wouldn't be able to subpoena him personally. They can't require you to testify in what would be your own case, because after all, it's, it's all about a possible impeachment. Impeachment has to come before indictment. Or uh, and we ask we ask Maxine Waters what what she thinks about the whole thing and she said impeach forty five impeach forty five impeach forty five yeah I think she's uh, in favor of going ahead with impeachment before uh, prosecution but uh, you know what? I think you have to break the law first I think you gotta I think you have to do something impeachable before you can impeach him just hey just because you have bad hair isn't enough you know just because you fired somebody isn't enough. You know, if if you could go to jail for wrongfully terminating somebody in this country, there'd be a lot of people in jail. And uh, freedom as we know it would no longer be. So uh, that's the exciting part about this country is freedom. Most people don't most people don't 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 remember exactly what that is. And uh, of course, the idea of Mueller's deciding not to indict the president does not please Democrats one bit. Here's Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, who says he wants to see the President Trump undergo not only indictment, but also a trial. I happen to believe, having reviewed a lot of the same law, that a president can be indicted. Why? Because no one is above the law. The president has profoundly important duties of office, but those responsibilities can be reconciled with an indictment. 
and a delay of the trial until he is out of office. Yeah, well, no one is above the law unless your name is Clinton. I don't know. Uh, you know, we have so much evidence on Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton for things that they did that was against the law. And uh, no one seems to be too concerned with that, do we? And we actually impeached uh, impeached uh, President Clinton, but no one seems to be too concerned with the laws and that kind of stuff on that and all the all the stuff that Hillary did uh, with the uh, with the uh, Clinton uh, the Clinton found the Hillary the the Clinton Foundation, however whatever it was called, uh, their their uh, pay for play thing that they did and all the stuff that was wrong. No one's concerned with that because she's a Democrat. So uh, you know what this whole thing this whole this the whole issue with how people look at this country is is just amazing to me and and surprisingly I'm reading a book I'm reading a book about weight loss um actually it's talking it's called the obesity code talking about weight loss that was recommended by one of my doctors and surprisingly made a little adjustment in my a little small adjustment in my uh in my eating habits and I dropped 20 pounds in the last three weeks so uh I don't know what's I got another 22 to go to meet my goal who knows where I'll go from there I may be a little skinny guy here in a, in a few months uh probably not but um but it worked and you know what you know and listening and listening to the book because I listen to the books I just downloaded on my phone and I listen in the car um it talks about how your body reacts when you eat and it talks about what happens when your body creates insulin and it talks about how when you're uh, when when you when you uh when you eat carbohydrates your pancreas makes insulin 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 makes you hungry and insulin makes you fat and it, it that's you start burning burning that insulin and and for you scientists if i get some of this wrong it's the concept i'm trying to say and it says well then then so if you uh if you don't eat the carbohydrates you don't make the insulin your body starts burning fat and one of the small things the doctor told me before he told me to get the book was hey you know what you got to shut your your pancreas down long enough for it to start to burn fat so if you if you keep feeding your if you keep feeding your insulin machine it keeps feeding it so he said just eat lunch and dinner yeah, but breakfast is the most important meal. Well, that's what we've been told all these years. So I eat lunch and I eat dinner now. And so after, between dinner and sleeping and getting up in the morning and working out and before I eat lunch, my my uh, it makes your body, you run out of insulin. It starts burning fat before you start feeding it again. So you actually start losing weight. And I'm going, hmm. But then it starts talking about insulin, uh, insulin resistance. Well, if you get insulin resistant, well, hey, now you can eat anything and your body won't won't uh, get fat, except for when that happens, your pancreas starts making more insulin to overcome it. And then they talk about when you cut calories, you cut calories so your metabolism slows down. And I start thinking about this, and I'm I'm talking to my trainer uh, in the morning. That's when I get my do my philosophizing in the morning, and I'm talking about you know this is just like America, just like America. When something happens, there's a cause and effect. So people go, hey, you know what? Trump did all those tax uh, tax reform, and he cut cut the taxes for all his rich friends and all the big corporations. And uh, he's not worried, you know, all the little people that didn't help them a bit, you know, little crumbs and all that stuff. It's cause and effect. You got to give it time to cause the effect. I wanted to just stop, start skipping breakfast, and hey, I'd have dropped forty pounds off all at once. Guess what? Doesn't happen like that. Got to have time for your body to react to it. So hey, you know, you cut the taxes for the corporations. Corporations actually have to start. You know, they didn't give the corporations money. They just cut some of their expenses. Now give them time to where that money starts to make a difference. Then they can start investing in in uh, 
uh, expanding their expanding their houses, expanding their businesses, have to re- uh, hire more people to to do that. Give raises to the people they have. Have the have the business start expanding. More business coming in because they've got more employees because they're doing more business. Now there's more people uh, making money. There's more people making money, so more people spending money, and they spend it in restaurants, and they spend it at car dealers, and they spend it on in uh, buying houses, and they spend it on everything that you can think of, everywhere where everybody works. I ordered a pair of shoes the other day um, that I uh, have wide feet, so my my wife usually goes in special orders uh, wide shoes because my feet are like a swim fin, so they're short and wide. So I'm a really good swimmer, uh, <clears throat> or I was before I got fat. Um, so the uh, so this time I say, hey, order me a pair of tens. These are a little bit bigger. And then I started thinking about it. I go on to Amazon and I and I take the the tongue of my of my shoe that I have now, and I just typed in in the in the search box the code that's on the on the tongue of the of the shoe and it pops up pops up right on amazon hey it's this kind of a shoe and it's you know pick your size pick your color and i ordered it right there it was actually cheaper than what we used to pay at macy's when she'd go in and order it and they would come in a week later and uh and it got there the same day oh my god that's gonna put macy's out of business that's gonna put a lot of retailers retailers out of business but guess what cause and effect what's that gonna do to the companies that make boxes because i noticed when i got the shoes uh, delivered to me later that night it had the shoe box that shoe boxes always that shoes always come in and it had a shipping box around that with some packing with some packing around it that they put the that had the amazon logo on it and they had to ship and you know what lately i get amazon amazon deliveries like a couple times a week just because it's so convenient. And I know some people still want to do retail, but in general, oh my God, we're putting retailers out. Hey, cause and effect. Now we're just creating jobs for people that make boxes. We're creating jobs for people that deliver because those deliveries come, they don't come from eight o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon like the post office does. They come from eight o'clock in the morning till like nine o'clock at night, seven days a week on holidays, on Christmas, on all that stuff. You get Amazon stuff delivered by the post office, delivered by UPS, delivered by by uh, by uh, FedEx, and then you see some guys come up and just cars. Hey, they, hey, I can I can deliver some uh, some uh, some packages on the way. How many? Do I, it's probably like Uber. Hey, sign up to deliver some packages. You know what? Cause and effect. That's how it works. How that's how the world works. That's how your body works. That's how everything works. Cause and effect. So stop looking at, well, hey, you know what? Trump said this is going to happen. Hey, let's just take the guns out of people's, out of people, uh, take the guns away. That'll stop violence. Sorry, that's not how it works. Cause and effect. You can't treat the symptom without treating the disease, and the disease is much deeper than what's on the surface. So anyway, uh, I digress there, and we'll talk, and we'll talk a little more. We'll, I'm sure that'll be a, I'm sure that'll be part of my, uh, part of my routine from here on out, cause and effect, because it just, I just read that and I'm going, wow, what a difference. If you just understand how the how the body works, you can control how your how your weight works. I've been trying to I've been suffering and trying to take a few pounds off for, for a long time. And now got all of a sudden it's just fallen off. So uh 
all good, all good in the hood. So uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, our sanctuary state roundtable that uh, Trump had. You didn't see much about this on the news this week. Um, I think Fox is the only one that covered it. And, uh, you know, it's it's near and dear to my heart because we are here in California. We hear a lot about the California Democrats' relentless crusade to make this sanctuary state with no borders and no way to stop illegal immigration. This week, there was a refreshing change of pace. President Trump hosted elected leaders from all over California at the White House on Wednesday for a sanctuary state roundtable. And uh, what they had to say sounded very much very different than what Governor uh, uh, Jerry Brown, Jerry Moonbeam Brown and the rest of Sacramento tells us. Here's a state assemblywoman from the 67th district, which is Marietta Melissa Melendez. There are more people in California, I think, than you know, who supports what you're doing, um, who, who believe in your agenda in securing our borders. Everywhere in between from San Francisco to Los Angeles, you have millions of people who want to see that our borders are secure and that our neighborhoods are safe. So we want to thank you thank for you. what you're doing. Um, I have been in office in California for five years. Not once has Governor Brown invited any Republican to discuss this issue in California. And it is a crisis. That's the point we're at in California. It's a crisis. So for, for me and my constituents, and those are Democrats and Republicans and independents alike, because I get emails from all of them, they don't want to see another Kate Steinling. That's what I hear every single week. They don't want to see another Kate Steinling. Yeah, and let me uh, let me also point out. She said from uh, Los Angeles to San Francisco, there's the people south and uh, south of uh, Los Angeles, and the people north of San Francisco that we all want what Trump wants too. And this and this this movement is something uh, something that we can be excited about. It's proof that we have a chance in California to overturn what we. Uh, hey, so many Republicans don't go out and vote because they don't think we can make a difference. Here's uh, here's Escondido Mayor Sam Abed, who originally was from Lebanon. He's been a legal American citizen since 1990. After describing how his city has achieved historical low crime levels by working with, not against, the federal immigration authorities to keep criminal aliens out of the city, he had this to say about Jerry Brown. Instead of fixing the Golden State and making it the American dream for everyone, they are dealing with illegal criminals. When Jerry Brown cares more about illegal criminals than he cares about the Hispanic community and the American citizen, this is insanity. Yep, and Corona Corona followed suit on Wednesday, and they put a and they passed the thing in Corona. And the, one of the councilmen there had a had a big old thing. Hey, this doesn't matter because. Because we cooperate with the federal thing, you know what? The cities want to make it public that we're not a sanctuary city. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start pushing why why Moreno Valley is not because you know what the when the illegal aliens know that they're if they get arrested they're gonna get turned over to immigration, but not in this city. That's where they go. And guess what? I don't want illegal criminals in my city or any city. And we should know by by this uh this this uh, stand up of of the cities and people in California that we can turn this state around. And June 5th, and all you guys that are mailing in your 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 ballots, Travis Allen is the guy you need to vote for on the uh, for the governor. He's the guy that can beat Gavin Newsom. He's the guy that can turn around turn around California. Don't listen to any of the commercials that you see because apparently Travis Allen is doing more face to face and less on TV, uh, probably because he doesn't have quite as much money as some of the other candidates. But we need to go on jointravisallen.com and give him some more so we can get some more commercials up there and we can turn our state around. And don't forget to vote out all your other uh, Democrat Congress people. Uh, you know, uh, Asia Smith. It should be one that you vote for in the 41st district. And uh, vote out all the other all the other bad guys. Um, anyway, I'm out of time for this half of the, uh, the main event. 
Stay tuned. I got Joey Jones coming up in the second half. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about uh, mortgages or real estate finance on this show uh, because I found over the last 10 and a half years, you guys think it's boring if you're not in the market, but you listen when we're talking about stuff that affects your lives and politics and what's going on in America affects your lives. If you're getting ready to do some uh, some more, uh, real estate financing, reverse mortgage, refinance, or buy a new house, or you're uh, trying to buy a house for your kids or uh, investment house, any of that stuff, you need financing, call me toll-free, 855-640-2020. Hey, with, uh, with so many interesting things happening at home and abroad right now, I thought it was the perfect time to check in with my friend jo- Sergeant Johnny Joey Jones, one of the most knowledgeable military analysts around. Joey, welcome back to the main event. Hey, guys. How's it going? It is going wonderful. So, as you know, the week started out with uh, violence on along Israel's border in Gaza with Gaza, and uh, the historic opening of the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, which was met with violent protests. And Israeli fire uh, killed uh, sixty Palestinian rioters, who we now know were mostly uh, members of terror group Hamas. Israel maintains that Hamas uses weekly border protests as a cover to stage terror attacks, which we know are happening. Joy, what's what's your thoughts on what happened at uh, with the the Gaza border in Israel this week? Well, first off, I want to say, you know, I really want to applaud President Trump for making this move. In my opinion, uh, past presidents have withheld making this move for one reason, one reason only, and it's this right here. It's the political cannon fodder that might arise. It's what can they be blamed for, and could they withstand the political collateral of, of protests or something like this happening, which to me is the same as negotiating with terrorists. You know, you make the wrong decision because you're worried about how it might affect your life or or what might happen after that instead of the decision that you that you announce and stick by. So I think it took a lot of courage and it took a lot of, um, you know, understanding that there would be a lot of people try to point fingers and cause blame where it probably doesn't lie, uh, both towards President Trump and Israel. And, uh, and he's just the kind of guy, and, and this is the kind of administration that can batten down the hatches, take that, and keep moving forward. Uh, and I think that's what we'll see there. It's incredibly unfortunate that people died. It's, it's even more unfortunate that some of those people, not many, uh, might have been uh, innocent civilians. But, you know, as we learn more about it and, uh, and the media becomes more honest on the issue, we learn, you know, the majority of these people were, were actually combatants in and of themselves throwing Molotov cocktails and, and trying to hurt other people. Yeah, no, I think uh, people people want to put it on that it's a political thing. We opened up this uh, this embassy in in uh, in Pal- in uh, Jerusalem, and this is what's causing it. When those guys fight anyway, and uh, I like how Dennis Prager said it once: if the if the uh, if the Palestinian people put down the if the people if the Palestinians put down their weapons, there'd be peace in the Middle East. If the Israelis put down their weapons, they'll all be dead. So um, you know, it's it just hey, it's. They're using it as they're using it as an excuse, and uh, and the Democrats are jumping jumping on the on the bandwagon to to oh look at what what uh, Trump caused. Well, you, I think Clinton said he was going to do the same thing, and Bush probably said the same thing, and Obama said the same thing, but nobody ever did anything about it. So they're all talk. So let's let's shift this to North Korea. The historic summit between President Trump and Kim Jong Un is still scheduled to take place on June second in Singapore, but this week. Uh, North Korea's vice foreign minister said they may not proceed with the summit because of our military military drills with South Korea. Uh, Joey, explain what's going on here and what you believe the likely outcome will be. 
Uh, your guess is as good as mine, Ed. I mean, you know, our, our own president stood at the, at the Floyd pulpit yesterday and said that he believed that he thought this was, uh, I believe, President Xi at, uh, in China getting in the ear of Kim Jong-un. And, uh, and I happen to believe him. I think that's as much intel as he had at that moment, and that's what he shared with us, and that's where we are. So I think that we would expect North Korea to not shy away from its bad habits that always die hard. So this is in keeping with how North Korea is. I think that uh, President Trump knows where he is with the PR campaign behind these things as a rational adult that follows politics. I wonder, in hindsight, why I get out in front of this issue and tout it as a victory and have these uh, talks about the Nobel Peace Prize and all of this before the meeting ever happens. But with that being said, you know, I think that President Trump pretty much knows what he's doing and knows the confines within uh, which he's working. And at the end of the day, it's not completely up to us. We just have to be consistent, and us continuing our military drills is exactly that. Uh, President Trump and his administration said all along that we will not let up with our maximum pressure campaign until uh, the nuclear weapons program is gone. And these drills are part of that maximum pressure campaign. And um, and I don't see a reason for us not to do them yet because we don't have anything. We have three Americans returned home, which is huge. But we don't have anything on the diplomacy front for us to start giving things up. Um, we are operating on the premise that we've put our thumb on his head, and he's saying, uncle. Well, if that's the case, if someone's saying, uncle, you don't start, you know, giving them a chance to fight you back, you keep your thumb on their head until they give up. And uh, and so that's what we're doing, and I, I applaud it. I, I, I agree uh, 100%. Um, and I was and I was talking and I was talking with uh, someone this morning about about this. Hey, you know, we're doing military drills in South Korea because we have a, we have a military base there. We have military bases all over the world, and it's not necessarily. I mean, the military base in South Korea is strategically placed. I'm assuming not just because of North Korea, but because of just to have military bases in strategic places around the world in case we need to defend defend us or our or our uh, or allies. Am I right? Yes, and, and there's, a, there's a much bigger geopolitical discussion here that really doesn't make it into mainstream television for a couple of different reasons, and I won't go into that. But when President Trump says what we're offering to North Korea is protection or security, what we mean are those military bases in South Korea, these exercises, and the idea that we're going to hold a Western capitalist freed, freedom-representing military presence in Asia. And so what would that mean? Why would we need that? China, Russia, Iran, you know, our, our foes that are on that half of the world, the idea being not only are we presuming that North Korea might disband their nuclear weapons, but join the Western world in our stance against some of those powers. So it is very true that pressuring China to get North Korea to the table is one discussion. But does it result in pressuring North Korea to choose between the U.S. and China? That's another discussion is very relevant and something that doesn't get talked about a lot because it doesn't really send the message that we want if we want China to help us, but it's actually the reality. And I would imagine that's what's happening right now. China is reacting to that. Um, I, would, I would imagine that the military drills with South Korea, that there is as much adverse reaction from China as anyone and that's why President Trump is saying that. But I don't think a lot of people put it in that type of perspective. We have no other reason to be in South Korea other than to defend our allies against regimes like China. And so we, we oftentimes gloss over the fact 
China is still very much an oppressive communist regime that just happens to have opened up what are called CEZs, capitalist economic zones, so that they can take advantage of the wealth in the capitalist world without actually implementing it among their own people. Very interesting, and that's kind of the stuff I want you to talk about because I want to. I want to talk about. I want to talk about on my show what everybody else isn't talking about because there's a cause and effect for everything. And and uh, I talked about this briefly on the first half of the show. There's a cause and effect, and what we do, you know, it's people people talk about talk about. Hey, what do these tax cuts do? What is what is this uh, denuclearizing uh, Korea do? What is that missile that we sent into Syria do? What kind of message did that send versus what? Uh, hey, we're just we're just we're just angering people. We're we're causing problems. No, we're actually you know there's more to it than that, isn't there? Well, there is. Here's the problem that doesn't have a solution. In other words, this is not to say that what we're doing is wrong. It's to say that we all deserve the opportunity to take a 30,000-foot view. Once you develop a strategy, you, you are absolutely liable to be consistent within it. In other words, to date, we bluff, they don't call. We bluff, they don't call. That's really kind of where we are. We send as many tomahawks into Syria as we want to, I dare you, Russia, or anyone else to do anything about it, and they haven't. Diplomatic, you know, pulling some embassies and things like that, all, all pomp and circumstance, but nothing militarily. Um, there may come a point in this administration where we bluff, they call the bluff, and then we're at war. That's the risk we take to reestablish our, our influence and ultimately military dominance in regions of the world that are vastly unstable. So the point being, we can't overlook the fact that this could really mean in a matter of days at any point in time of war with North Korea. We just have to understand that we have a lot of tools in the toolbox beyond our military to include our economy and diplomacy and standing in the world in other places to ensure you know a war when Korea doesn't become another proxy war with China and things like that. That's the real problem here is that you know so many of the wars we fought in the last really century, um, or well, almost now, uh, since World War II anyway, have been proxy wars with larger powers, mostly, almost uh, solely, and then much of the war on terrorism has been a proxy war with Iran. And so the idea being, we want to get away from that, but there's a certain amount of security in it, and it's good that we go into these situations with clear eyes. Otherwise, the next generation of veteran with no legs struggling to get through life because we can't afford to take care of them, um, that, they, that happened for an illegitimate reason. And I, I'm the second generation of being on the borderline of that. Did what happened to me ever really matter? Did we allow it to matter? Um, and we don't want that again. That's an important thing that we can control domestically at the polling place and through uh, the rhetoric that we respond to on, on media and other, other outlets. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame that we can't stay on the same the same ideological hey peace through strength and that's you know it's that's seems to seems to work and it seems to keep the world safe and the instability comes when when the when the 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 evil powers in the world view us as weak and and they're not afraid of us well you know i would argue the last time a democratic president uh, developed a national security strategy that kept us safe might have been Kennedy. I mean, there, there might be some holes in the in the story there as a 30-year-old or th- almost 32-year-old. I'm not seeing, but looking through history at the at the failures of the Carter administration, the failures of the Clinton administration, uh, and, and what I mean by that is Bill Clinton had the opportunity to ensure 9-11 never happened, and 
buy through that, perhaps the war on terror never happened. Now, I don't blame Bill Clinton for that. I think there are a lot of things, in, in almost some ways, uh, an inability to foresee what it could grow into. Uh, but then, you know, President Obama comes along, and, and he's got all the proofs of the put. He's got a failed Clinton administration and pretty much an eight years uh, failure of, of President Bush trying to push the country in a way and, and the majority of the country pushing back by second term. So the point being, uh, it seems like the Republican and conservative strategy of what you said, peace through, through strength, um, it is the way to go because that's where our successes are historically. It's not a rhetorical or even partisan argument. And, uh, and with President Trump, that's what we get, but we also get a healthy amount of anecdotal rhetoric and, and the idea that he, he's never – uh, he's never shy on criticizing the Iraq war, even if he's getting us right back into another one in Syria. So there's there's a lot of, um, I would say, uh, follies there. But I think we have the right people in the Pentagon. And I think that if the American people will, uh, uh, you know, trust in their leaders and sometimes a little bit longer and not have an anti-war campaign the day after we have a war campaign, uh, we might be able to solve some of these problems, whether it be through diplomacy or war, but for the good. And most importantly, with staying power, which is what we're missing on most of these wars in the last 50 years. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, I have never been uh, a fan of when Trump starts starts insulting the uh, uh, Bush for the Iraq war, because I think it probably was necessary. You know, we just we got we got attacked and that was that's what he said he was going to do. Hey, if you're a terrorist or if you're a government harboring the terrorists. You're, you know, you're either for us, with us, or against us, and well, he, and he went after it. Yeah, and the hindsight's there. We're talking twenty years of hindsight. We're talking mm-hmm. intelligence we didn't know existed twenty years ago. I think that the um, my researched opinion is that once we went into Afghanistan, we should have stayed there, and that should have been our primary war. I think that Iraq would have taken care of itself because the one thing Saddam liked a lot more than terrorists was being alive and in control. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think there's healthy criticism there, but man, you got to look at that as a lesson learned and an after action before you're allowed to point blame, uh-huh. because he could be sitting in the exact same place right now, and we just need about 20 years to know it. And so I, I don't see, you know, I really hate when presidents play the blame game. I'd say Trump probably does it more than anyone I've seen uh, back and forth with one another. Uh, but beyond that, it's okay to bring up these issues and say that was a mistake if you do it in the context of let's not make that mistake again, not a, uh, not a, you know, a divert attention for me to him. Exactly. And that's, I think that's the problem I take with it. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Trump was in the same place when he, when he criticized it and he said, Hey, we should never have been in We should have never gone into Iraq. We're destabilizing the Middle East. And he holds that now he's sitting behind the oval office and he's in oh you know the desk and he's saying saying hey things look different from when you're sitting here then that he should and he should have he shouldn't yeah. say he wouldn't shouldn't be worried about well hey this is what you said 20 years ago when you were on oprah and here's what you're saying now you're 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 contradicting yourself well it's been 20 years and it's been uh you know 20 years of life and 20 years of uh, retrospect it's uh, hindsight is 2020 let me play well, the let, yeah. go ahead well, it's just not in his personality, and the majority of times it works in his favor. So I'm not going to overly critique it, uh, except to say that in this micro-conversation of basically foreign policy and, more importantly, defense policy, uh, war policy, um, you know, we need to go into the next conflict with clear eyes, and I worry that rhetoric 
gets in the way of the regular American understanding exactly what we're getting into while we're doing it, and most importantly, what we should demand and expect from it. And uh, and that's a, that's our failure as a citizenry, and it's a it's a symptom of of our comfort and mo- we're spoiled. That's what we are. We are spoiled human beings that live in this country, and to the point that it's it's a lot easier for us to say thank you for your service than to say. What does your service mean? And that, that's not that's not really true patriotism. That's comfort patriotism. And we can work a little bit further towards fixing that and be more involved in, in what's happening in the world as, as citizens. Yeah, we have to start uh, educating our uh, our uh, our youngsters as to uh, American history and what makes America great, and uh, so they understand patriotism and some of the stuff that they're teaching in schools right now just doesn't do that. You mentioned uh, we have the right leadership in the in the Pentagon. Um, I don't know that everybody everybody understands that Trump actually has advisors and listens to him. Um, you've you have a you have a personal relationship with with General James Mattis, or you've or you've had uh, you've had yes. you've had connections with him in the past. Yes. Uh, tell us about who's who's running who's who's uh, mapping our military strategy. Probably one of the most story. Uh, I'm sorry. Probably one of the most well researched and studied uh, generals. Um, in our country's history. And that's not even, that's an understatement probably before an exaggeration. That doesn't make him uh, a saint. That doesn't mean that every every opinion he holds is the right opinion. In war, the right opinion is the victorious one, and that's all that matters. Uh, and we say if there's a fork in the road, it doesn't matter which side you take as long as you believe in it. And so it's not to say that he has all the answers or that what he says should always be a, uh, what we go by. But I would say that when it comes to every tenant necessary to make an informed, educated, and most importantly, predictive decision, you know, James Mattis has has done the work to make those uh, to make those decisions and to make those recommendations. I think President Trump listens to James Mattis uh, quite often. I also think that there are a lot of times where they disagree, and I think Trump actually enjoys having cabinet officials that openly disagree. I'm, couldn't tell you exactly why. Maybe he broke down and read Team of Rivals, uh, you know, about Lincoln's administration. I'm not sure. But I think that President Trump enjoys the banter, enjoys the, the slight controversy, and ultimately perhaps he just enjoys people knowing he made the final decision. But, uh, but with that being said, I think General James Mattis understands our enemy as well as anyone out there, and even more importantly understands our military better than anyone out there. Um, and the thing about Mattis that I said when he was first nominated and then confirmed was, it's not that he'll make the popular decisions. It's that when he makes the unpopular decisions, people have the, the faith in him and give him the grace to say, well, we, we understand or we're willing to uh, see this one through. And that's, that had been largely uh, unfelt in the military, especially for, for at least eight years. Mm-hmm. And, so, um, and so, you know, you almost have a splitting of the commander-in-chief role with Mattis to where, uh, if Trump makes a foreign policy decision, your military is receiving that as a Mattis decision, and they're giving more opportunity for it. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think that's what we have. I think it's. I think to me, I think it's good, and uh, and I can tell you it's one of those life experiences we were talking about before we started recording. Recording as as I run my mortgage company, I'm you know I originate loans. I tell my underwriters, hey, hey, I'm going to sell this loan. To, as a loan officer to you and try to get get you to prove it but i want you to say no when it's time for to, when i when you're going to save me from myself when it's absolutely when you're an absolute no hold a hard line just the same way when you know talk to hey i want 
the managers, the managers and the people in, in my company to push back if I'm not seeing it right, because I know I don't have all the answers. So, um, you know, I, I have, I have the, uh, the benefit of, of watching the whole machine work and knowing what's, what's worked in the past and what doesn't work. Hey, if there's something I'm not considering, fill me in. It's kind of why I talk like I talk like talking to you. Cause you've got perspectives that I don't have. Sometimes I don't agree with them, but then I go, Hmm, that uh, gun control thing. Uh, I remember talking about the, the list, but we won't go into that because we got a few other things to talk about and we're running out of time. So Gina Haspel just got confirmed as our head of our CIA. Um, director of the CIA. I read some of your tweets on last week's show, and I want to ask you to expand on what you meant by uh, some of your insights um, and the, some of the ones that dying at the hands of radical Islamic terrorists is un-American. I'm grateful that people like Gina Haspel keep us safe while senators steal our money. Of all the things we do in contradiction to American values, pouring water in the mouths of terrorists isn't one of them. We value our sovereignty and freedom most. That includes all of them, all that it takes to ensure them. And the last one, I disagree uh, you were taught someone was talking about how waterboarding is uh, torture. Waterboarding isn't punishment, nor excessive, nor cruel in, in, in intended purpose. It sucks for the recipient, but it does shoot it. So does uh, shooting them in the forehead from a thousand yards away um, while they smoke a cigarette. You want to expand on uh, on Gina Haspel and the whole uh, the whole terror um, torture thing? Absolutely, and, and let me be clear: I'm not necessarily taking a uh, stance pro-waterboarding stance. What I'm taking is objection to this idea that we have these hindsight quarterbacks, that we have these this, these pundits mostly, but Americans in general, who can enjoy the, the safety and security provided to them by people like Gina Haspel and the people who, who conducted waterboarding on one of the most notorious terrorists ever. That, that resulted in information that allowed us to prevent future attacks. And the point being, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, when it comes to things like war. And so to, to, if you want to have the discussion, the hard discussion, and come to the hard-obtained conclusion that waterboarding is just a bridge too far and a line we should never cross again, that's fine. If you want to hold a holier-than-thou you know, forum where you try to say that waterboarding is anti-American values and recreate our history and purpose in the world to suit your own feelings, well, then I take objection to you because you'll, if that's your mindset, you'll never actively contribute to keeping this country safe. And thank God you're not in office. That's my respect. That's my response there. So that was more speaking to a lot of the Democratic uh, senators during the uh, during the confirmation hearings, as well as a lot of people that spoke up on uh, national news outlets coming from this very uh, uh, sanctimonious position as if, as if the only way to keep our country safe is to, uh, is to hold some sort of unachievable, uh, you know, never inflict harm on your enemy standard, which just doesn't exist in war. And listen, I've said on your show before, and it's the absolute truth, a benevolent country like ours never chooses when we go to war. It's our enemies that make that decision for us. Likewise, we don't choose to do harm to human beings, but if we have to waterboard or or interrogate a ter- a known terrorist, not a suspected, a known terrorist to get information to keep other Americans safe, and in my opinion, that's called keeping our country safe. If our laws change, if the American sentiment changes, well, man, I just really hope they come up with another technique that panders to people's good feelings and still gets the information we need. Um, and even James Mattis sees it differently, but he's in he's 
not necessarily sit across from an interrogation table with the same terrorist that she has either, so or that those people did either. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of opinions to go around, but there's only one history, and history proved that it kept us safe. Exactly. exactly. Okay, we got uh, about a minute and a half left. Um, we're recording Friday morning. There's a shooting in, uh, in Texas. I know you're getting ready to go on Fox News and comment on it. What can you tell us is going on? Yeah, I don't have any added information beyond to say that uh, one thing that gets lost in these conversations on politics, and it's just absolutely disgusting, is that uh, before we knew one name of, a, of an individual who was killed today, we're having a gun debate all over again, and we're having a hateful, fiery, rhetorical gun debate. And when we go to that direction, what, we, what gets lost on us is any type of review or call to action on how we did anything to prevent or keep students safe in these high schools. And so it's not a circumvent or run away from the gun debate. I am very much against the majority of proposed gun restrictions, uh, mainly because I don't think their outcome would keep anyone any safer. Uh, but beyond that point, have those discussions. But in the meantime, while we would ignore solutions that are right in front of us and just need to be put into action, that's the real, that's the real tragedy in most of these events. For example, I remember growing up in school, if, a, if someone called in a bomb threat, which happened twice when I was in school, or any type of threat, without a moment's notice, we would be herded right into the bleachers on our football field every single time. Even when we did drills, that's where we would go. And I, I went to high school in a post-Columbine environment. Uh, and the point being, that was just not very smart uh, policy. That was just not a very, very smart procedure because then all it took was one time for a student to see that and say, okay, well, I'm going to put a bomb under the bleachers and then call in a bomb threat. So the point being, our tactics and procedures have barely changed, and that's what's really disheartening about this is we can change tactics and procedures, conditioning and training and, uh, and drills tomorrow. And it won't prevent, but it will certainly deter and help keep kids safe when things like these do happen. And unfortunately, all of the oxygen in the room gets sucked into a debate that goes beyond the school shooting and into a cultural uh, which is which is the American gun culture and our Second Amendment discussion. So it's uh, you don't need to change the Constitution to keep our kids safer in schools, and uh, and that's unfortunate that that's where we go. Hey, I agree. Hey, uh, Joey, we're out of time now. Um, I'm sure we'll see how this uh, how this debate uh, expands over the next uh, over the weekend and out of the over the next week. And uh, I look forward to having uh, discussions over the phone as well as on the air and uh, see how this thing unfolds. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Hey, thanks for for joining us on the main event, Joey. We'll talk to you again real soon. And uh, everybody out there, hey, thanks for listening to the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman. I'll be back again with you next week. The content of this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate. Broker license number 0114747 and California Finance Lenders license number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 09699.